again. Log Talk Radio. Real American, fight for the rights of every man. I know a real American, fight for what's right, fight for your life. Hello and welcome to this edition of V Radio, brought to you now on RestoreTheRepublicRadio.com. Uh, RevolutionBroadcasting.com will still get you to our shows, but uh, we have now uh, essentially merged with Restore the Republic. For those of you who are not familiar with Restore the Republic, you may have watched the movie Freedom to Fascism, and if you haven't, I suggest that you do. Restore the Republic is an organization that was based essentially in trying to continue what uh, Aaron Russo had started as far as uh, restoring Republic, bringing uh, you know, essentially education to the people about the realities um, of what's going on in our government. Today on uh, V Radio, I'm going to have a guest actually I had not long ago. He was also featured on um, our recent presidential debate. His name is Charles Jay, and he is the candidate from the Boston Tea Party. I'm going to add him to the call now, and uh, we're going to get this interview started. So as soon as it connects, we're good to go. Hello there. Hey, Charles. This is Neil from V Radio. How are you tonight? How are you? Not too bad. Not too bad at all. Uh, can I? Am I coming out okay? Do you hear me all right? I hear you fine. Are we live now? Yes, we are. We're live right now. Um, That's the amazing thing about you guys. You know, you call and the answer is boom, you're right on the air. <laughs> yeah, that's how we get things done around here. If you ever do need like an advance notice, let me know and I'll try to call you beforehand. But uh, um, in any case, uh, uh, once again, I had asked um, you know the the listeners and the readers if they had any questions for you. Um, I'm going to bring those up here in a minute, but uh, first I'm going to give you the floor. Actually, you know, yeah, tell us what's going on in your campaign. How have things been going? Have you know, have you gotten any new people who've come on board with your message? Or I think we have. Um, I just got back from uh, Nashville, as you know. Uh, we were, I was involved in the alternative presidential debate, which was held at Vanderbilt University. And um, there were six people in the debate. Uh, myself, uh, 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 Brad Little from the U.S. Pacifist Party, Frank McAnulty from the New American Independent Party, uh, Brian Moore of the Socialist Party, uh, Gloria Lariva for the Party uh, for Socialism and Liberalism, and also Daryl Castle, who is the Vice Presidential Candidate of the Constitution Party. And um, I thought we had a great debate. I thought it was a great event. Uh, I, I think there were probably some problems with the audio uh, a little bit, um, and, and people who, who saw the 
uh, the video as it was archived could, could, could probably tell that. But uh, I thought we had a, a nice, lively crowd. Uh, I felt as if it was a major success because of the fact that um, that um, uh, I was actually swarmed after the debate, uh, and there were you know, a load of people with interest. And so I did several more interviews afterward. Uh, did an interview with some Australian media, some of the college media. Talked to a lot of local people that were involved in politics. Talked to some people who had worked on my campaign who I'd never met before even um, at at that the debate. And uh, and got out of there uh, about two hours later. So I mean, it was um, it was a great opportunity to to uh, to uh, to talk uh, and to uh, to communicate and um, and to you know press the flesh, so to speak. Getting there was was a problem and a half, and I think you know that story, but I'll relay it to your audience because I think it's kind of interesting. Um, yeah, please feel free. Huh? Feel free. Um, Go ahead. <laughs> Uh, of course, and, and I think one of the reasons that the debate was staged on this particular day um, was that um, it was the day before the uh, uh, Obama-McCain debate, which was being held at Belmont University, which is close to Vanderbilt. And uh, on the night of the debate, which was scheduled for 7 p.m. Central Time, I, I left for the college about an hour early. And... Um, uh, it took a very short highway drive to get there, and, and I and I got onto the on ramp on the highway, and I guess I lost my first encounter with uh, with John McCain uh, in this campaign because uh, his motorcade uh, scored a win over my motorcade, which was you know consisted of one car. His uh, I don't even know how many cars his did because they shut the highway down, and the way they do this is they shut it down before the guy even lands, and he happened to be landing at that particular time uh, in Nashville, and everything came to a standstill. And so uh, what I had to do, along with a lot of other cars, was we had to back all the way down the on-ramp and get back onto the regular city street. Uh, I had to stop and get directions for an alternate route to get to Vanderbilt from somebody. They told me how to get there. It it, uh, entailed going down the main drag uh, in downtown Nashville, which is called Broadway. And as I'm going down Broadway, I realized that there's an intersection that they also had shut off. And it, it, this must have been close to where McCain's hotel was. You know, so um, I had to go a third way, and I had to sort of improvise. And by the time I got to the college, you know, we're talking about eight or nine minutes before the debate is to start. And um, no one on the college campus was able to help me very much in terms of telling me where to park, and except to tell me that parking was a nightmare on campus. <laughs> uh, so I'm on the phone with the organizers of the debate, telling them what has happened to me, and they uh, understood, and they were going to hold up the debate a few minutes, and I lucked into a, a parking uh, lot on, on campus there. And, of course, it looked half empty, and so I'm wondering, well, parking's a nightmare. This must be one of those lots where you need a, a sticker, a student's uh, decal uh, to park. So as I'm pulling into my space, I see three people getting out of the car, and I said to them, uh, hey, hey listen, am I going to be okay parking here, or do you need a, a special a permit here? And they said, no, no, we're, we're all right. We're going to be okay here. I said, okay. So I asked them where this particular building was that the debate was being held in, and they said, uh, well, we're going there right now. I said, oh, are you going to the uh, 
to the debate? And they said, yeah. I said, okay, well, you know what? I'm in the debate. So you're not late. So uh, I'll walk with you. And that's exactly what I did. And, and, and it was about a mile walk from my parking spot to this building. I, I probably would have never found it otherwise. Walk right in. You know, I set some of my literature and some of my paraphernalia down. And, uh, you know, went onto the stage. And we began about 30 seconds later. That's how I, you know, that, and that's uh, how I wound up getting to the debate on time. And, you know, to an extent, that's pretty good because of the fact that you don't have time to really sit around and give yourself anxiety. All my anxiety was in actually getting to the debate, not in sitting around and waiting for the debate to begin. Uh, but, um, and, and, you know, of course, I went into there with very little preparation, but, but I think sometimes that's the best way to go. Uh, and so I, I thought that it was an incredibly positive experience. Now, two days later, uh, and this was after many plane holdups and cancellations and no sleep, uh, I went into the five-way debate, which was uh, on revolution broadcasting on, uh, on Thursday night. And so um, I believe I might have talked to you after that debate, right? Um, yes, you did. Yeah, I called you yeah. afterwards. So you know, I was uh, I was I was I was exhausted by that time. I still hadn't been home yet, and um, uh, it was it was quite an ordeal just being you know maneuvering myself into position after all the travel problems to be in that debate. And once again, though that debate very very positive experience. I'm happy that it was arranged. Uh, I do appreciate uh, what you know these uh, these folks did for third-party politics and giving people an opportunity to be heard. Uh, of course, Chuck Baldwin was in that one, along with um, Frank McAnulty and, uh, and Brian Moore, also Jonathan Allen, an independent candidate uh, from Colorado. Uh, and so, um, uh, good debate. Uh, and, and I thought that that really went well. So after all that, I was kind of tuckered out from debate and um, looked forward to getting a day or two of rest which uh, I think I have. Well, that's good. Yeah, I, mean, I would say, you know, when you when I called you and talked to you, you said you'd only had like a couple hours sleep even because of all the stuff you went through to get, you know, into these debates, and I really appreciate you going through that effort. Um, I wanted to let you know, uh, I mean, aside from the poll that I'm sure you saw in Revolution Broadcasting, uh, we had another one on another place that I participate called Independent Political Report. I'm sure you're familiar. Uh, your VP is there all the time. Uh, sure. And uh, you came out on top of that poll uh, with 28% of the vote. Now, mind you, they had a lot of people on this, um, as in, like, you know, Prohibition Party, Constitution Party, Libertarian Party, America's Independent, Socialism, Libertarian, Socialism and Liberation. I'm sorry. I was like, what? <laughs> Socialism and Libertarian. And they put Cynthia McKinney, Brian Moore, Ralph Nader, Barack Obama, Tom Stevens, Ted Well, someone else, and will not vote were all options that were on this poll. And you came out at 28% of the vote with 1,047 votes. Um, and uh, it, it's definitely a, a different feel when you consider that on this poll, Chuck Baldwin only came in at 5% of the vote with 203. Um, is, and, that, is that over? Is that over that polling? Uh, as far as I know, it's been over for a while, actually. I don't know. Um, I went to it recently myself. Uh, Bob Barr only fared uh, 2% higher. He got 7% of the vote um, on that same poll. But uh, it looks like the, the big people was you with uh, 28, and then, like, the next highest that I see, let me see here, I'm seeing it looks like, okay, we have 26%. So 
So uh, um, maybe that was higher. Let me take a look. No, that's no. You're you're basically Ralph Nader came in right underneath you. Um, okay. But uh, basically, yeah, I was on an independent political report. It's a really good blog. I I report actually I reported that the show was going to be going on there today. Um, uh, but anyway. Um, I would have to say also that, you know, we did get a lot of people who have come in to say, you know, wow, I really like that Charles J. guy. And I guess you were on the show with Travis Maddox. Was it yesterday or the day before? I was on, yeah, Travis asked me on Sunday, uh, would I be interested in coming on the show? Apparently he had gotten some feedback as well. So mm-hmm. uh, as, as some people in your audience probably know, Travis is running for uh, Congress uh, in Missouri. And he is he is running. Uh, he's, I believe, a member of the Constitution Party. He's pretty much running as an independent. And uh, you know, we talked a, a little bit about one of my favorite subjects, which is which is you know what maybe not even my specific campaign is about, but you know about this concept of third party uh, politics in general and how important it is, and how difficult it is for you know a normal human being to be running a campaign. Uh, along these lines and the kinds of things that we have to deal with, uh, which some of which I just explained to you before, right. lack of motorcade. You know, I just wish my Secret Service protection would have showed up there. I might have had a, you know, a much uh, smoother time uh, getting to the debate. But, um, you know, uh, you know, I think we had, a, we had a great discussion for about an hour, an hour and change. Uh, about um, about what this is about and and, and you know, what we're really trying to communicate on a general level, you know, what might constitute victories for third-party politics in this cycle. Well, um, I'm definitely looking forward to see how this all works out. Uh, um, particularly, I mean, like I said, I, I wish I could vote for you where I am, and I unfortunately cannot, but uh, you know I'll be voting for you in spirit. <laughs> Um, well, you can you can storm the Capitol if you would like. That might uh, you know they'll have to count you then. Yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah but I'm I, I, I was, myself, so I kind of don't want to go to jail yet. <laughs> well, listen, you might be stepping up the stairs of that Capitol uh, on November the you know what is it January first you'd be sworn in. Um, uh, yeah, that's possible. I mean, I don't. It, it wouldn't be that Capitol, would it? Um, but um, <laughs> no. No, I, I, that's if I get in. Um, no matter what, I mean, I, I don't know that I will win, but I'm definitely going to put some pressure on her, and I already have. I actually got my first invitation to a real uh, radio show here pretty uh, recently, and I was able to address the veterans of foreign wars. Uh, I was able to address uh, – I was invited to a few different town hall meetings, um, and I've uh, been you know, getting around to do my business. Um, I definitely think I'll do a lot better next time. Uh, there were just some things that happened in my personal life that happened immediately after I was nominated that kind of stalled my, my campaign, sadly. But uh, mm-hmm. I, am, I, I basically have told my supporters that I'm in until I win, which means I'll just keep running. The only thing that will change, I might change to a different district. Um, and other than that, it's, it's basically going to be the same message and the same me putting pressure on whoever it is that I'm running against. Uh, well, you know, you, you know what, Neil, Neil like, like, a, like a, one of the first people I met in politics told me, it was, it was Robert Butler, in fact, who, who became um, the executive director of the Libertarian Party in Ohio. He told me, you know what, you're always campaigning. Right. I mean, you're, you're all, in a sense, you're always campaigning. And, I, you know, I, I figure that I'll be arguing about something. Uh, until the day I die. I don't know what it is, and I don't know what in, in what form it will be, but I'll, arg- I'll be arguing for something. I'll be advocating for something, no matter what form it takes. 
Well, Charles, um, I'm getting questions finally from my listeners here, and uh, one of them has asked, although I know the answer to this question, I think you may have answered it on my own show, but uh, I'm going to ask you now because there are new listeners. What is, what is your stance on the war on drugs? I don't believe in the war on drugs. I mean, I believe it exists, of course, uh, but uh, I don't believe that fighting it is a winner. Mm-hmm. Uh, of course, of course, I feel as if uh, the intake of drugs is something that is a personal choice. And uh, I do believe that you're free to harm yourself if you want. Uh, and so uh, I am, I, you know, I, I, I'm one of these people. I'm not interested in putting away these nonviolent drug offenders. Uh, and if anything, uh, I think that they should uh, be able to opt for rehabilitation. Uh, in you know, in lieu of uh, incarceration uh, mm-hmm. and education, and I think I think that is something that that really can do uh, uh, can do the job. Well, here comes our uh, break, Charles. Hemp has nutritional values that far exceed any known plant. Hemp used for food, clothing, and shelter since time began. Hemp. This God-given food source is controlled by your government, making it not legal to grow for American people and farmers, but legal to import. Our founding fathers grew hemp because they knew of the benefits it offered. The protein powder, seeds, and oil are available through HempUSA.org. Recommended daily intake of this food source will allow the body to heal itself from many ailments. Loaded with potassium, magnesium, calcium, essential fatty acids, amino acids, and nutrients not available in other plants. Hemp can be stored with a long shelf life as a life-sustaining food source for you and your family. Could this be the government's best-kept secret? Call today at 908-691-2608 and see what the powder, seeds, and oil can do for you. Learn. Help. Shop at HempUSA.org. We do not charge for shipping. That's 908-691-2608 or go to HempUSA.org today. Did you know that a family of four earning 42000 pays nothing in federal income taxes but loses more than $6,000 to federal payroll taxes? 80% of wage earners lose more to payroll taxes than income taxes. Politicians should not ignore a tax that imposes such an oppressive burden, especially on the working poor and middle class. This is Eric Schonsberg, a libertarian candidate for U.S. Congress and a professor of economics. I'm running against Baron Hill and Mike Sodrell, and I approve this message. Maybe knowing something about economics would be useful? Don't waste your vote this time. Vote Schoensberg on November 4th. The first film made on the phenomena called Chemtrails, with analysis and eyewitness statements from all parts of the U.S., makes this the most complete and detailed film on the subject. The continuous bombardment of American cities with seemingly innocuous chemicals being spread over our cities has led the people to equate the spreading clouds with the harmless contrails. But you need to see the evidence with your own eyes and share this film with your neighbors and families. One day, following a particularly heavily sprain, people will start coming down with a flu-like disease. They will call it bird flu. And you will be ordered to a Walmart parking lot to get a flu shot that will prove deadlier than the flu itself. $25 from www.freeamerican.com or call 888-678-1444. This is the most important film on the phenomenon of chemtrails. Also get True Face of FEMA and the Free American to understand about the vaccines. Uh, hi, this is uh, Senator Jefferson Smith, and they made a movie about me a long time ago called Mr. Smith Goes to Washington, about a naive young man that knew everything about American history and unfortunately very little about American politics. But you can do it for real, not in the fantasy of a movie, by sending a wiser, stronger, tougher 
Senator Smith, back to Washington. His name is Ron Paul. I am a real American. Fight for the rights of every man. I am a real American. Fight for what's right. Fight for your life. All right, we're back here on V Radio. Um, Charles, you were explaining about the war on drugs and your position on it. Please continue. Yes. Um, by the way, that song that was just on there, I know there's a pro wrestler that comes into the ring. Uh, <laughs> and that song. Maybe one of your listeners can help me with that one. I can't remember who that is. I, I can remember um, who it is if you want to know. That's, that's Hulk Hogan. Who is it? Who is <laughs> Hulk it? Hogan. Oh, Hulk Hogan, that's right. All right, mm-hmm. anyway... Um, yeah, well, let's yeah let's talk a little bit more about this war on drugs. I don't know how many people saw this documentary film. I believe it's been on Showtime. It's called Cocaine Cowboys, and um, it's an incredible uh, documentary film. Which you know, I grew up in South Florida uh, during this period of time where all the drugs were coming in through here, and 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 the the cocaine explosion really started. And that film did, probably depicts. Uh, the thing more accurately than anything that I've ever seen, the whole experience of it, and and how it impacted the the uh, the atmosphere in this area. Uh, there, you know, when you, when you talk about something that is outlawed, as we had during the Prohibition era with alcohol, uh, that's going to breed violence. And, and sure enough, uh, this is what you saw in Miami. Uh, during the late 70s, early 80s, and, and, and you know into the into the mid and late 80s, and, and and what you also saw was an almost complete corruption of the law enforcement officers who were assigned to this. Whether they be local police, DEA, they all became criminals. I don't know how this all improves things. Uh, I, I believe not in a war on drugs, but if there's going to be a war that is surrounding the drug issue. Let it be one where people are educated, and, and you know, if we're if we are all to agree on the fact that, and maybe we don't all agree on 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 the fact that people should have their own personal choices when it comes to that, but that, um, you you know, you're probably not the sharper or more high functioning if you're on drugs. Okay, you're probably better off without them, uh, but um, that uh, you know that education does it, and, and that really winning this so-called war isn't about reducing the supply that's available uh, of drugs. It's in reducing the demand. That's where you come up with uh, a win, if there is a win. And you don't do that by having a war on drugs. Right. Well, I have to say that I was kind of disappointed with Chuck Baldwin's answer during the debate, because what he's saying doesn't really eliminate the war on drugs at all. If even if you keep them just federally, you know, illegal, then there's still going to be a drug war, and it's still going to go on just the way that it was previously. I don't really see how he proposes to solve that, but 
Um, it, as far as like, you know, I, I, I found your answer satisfactory that evening, as you can probably imagine. Um, some of the people were commenting here, they're saying basically, uh, um, here looking at basically so who pays for the the rehabilitation when somebody is on drugs is if, if we're going to say if we're going to settle it from the rehabilitation and health issue side then who pays for it great question and and let me tie this into an answer to an unasked question which was actually part of a, a pre-interview i did on uh, for something else uh, it's all running together in my mind now where somebody asked about that and also asked about job training for uh convicts you know, as part of a rehabilitation process in prison. Right. Uh, I, like, I like the idea that one could have, um, that, that one could have, a, 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 well, obviously you could have charities that do that. And that charities could come in and volunteer to do that. These are things that can be funded privately. And that this, these organizations can devote themselves to, uh, to helping to educate and "Quote unquote," rehabilitate those drug users who want help. Okay, right. Um, and and I would also, uh, uh, you know, privatize or seek to privatize uh, rehabilitation and job training services. You know, because you 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 probably have uh, companies out there who would be willing to sponsor programs uh, in which they would train people, so that those people once again, who wanted that kind of help uh, and wanted that kind of assistance could be of use to them when they got out. Uh, and so uh, I think it's, in, it's, 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 you know, it is in the best interests of private companies to sponsor those kinds of things. And I think it's in the best interests of uh, public entities, whether it be on the federal or state level, uh, to, 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 um, to encourage and, and even recruit those companies in to do that, where it's at no cost to the taxpayer. Either way, I think this can be done without cost to the taxpayer, additional cost. Okay. That no, that, that definitely answers it for me. Um, now, uh, there, are, there is also a question that comes out. Um, actually, th there's been a lot of conspiracy theory questions that people have wanted to ask. I guess that's because they have heard an awful lot of answers about this and all the other stuff in the presidential race. But one thing that I, I will field here, because it came up actually in a, a documentary that I watched that actually sold me on the idea of legalizing drugs. And um, that's the issue of um, – have you ever watched the documentary? It was called um, uh, The Last Great White Hope, America's War on Drugs. I, you know what? I intend to see it. I saw about two minutes of it where there was a um, there was a thing somewhere. Right. Uh, they were talking about the CIA involvement, et cetera. Yep, that's exactly uh, and, what and people want to ask you about is what is your feeling on that issue. Um, are, are you let's, familiar let's, beyond that? Basically, you know, CIA is trafficking in drugs and Wall Street laundering of money. Um, that, that basically, do you feel you feel that that's a possibility? You know, how would you address it as president? Well, I don't know how I would address it as president because I don't know enough about it yet, but I would say it's a, I, I would think it's a possibility. I, I would love to re watch a documentary and see that. I mean, there are two documentaries that I wanted to see. I saw one of them, which was the Iraq for Sale documentary. I love that sure one. Seen too, yeah. <laughs> and, the other one, and, the, and the other one was this one. I have been urged to see this by more than one person because this, this is this – is, you know, thought to be at least, and, and one of the things that I think, if you are a libertarian, small L, 
you know, this is one of the things where you can appeal to uh, the African-American community in particular is that, is that this drug war is discriminatory. Right. Uh, and, and, and yes, I, I would be very interested in delving into that deeper. Okay. Well, um, yeah, that was definitely the movie that did it for me because I, I, I mean, I grew up in the inner city myself, but the, the house next door to me was a crack house. So I have seen the war on drugs up close and up per, you know, in personal. I mean, I got to watch a raid where they go in there, uh, you know, and actually cause all kinds of problems. You know, obviously the, there was a little girl that they scared the hell out of when they used the flashbangs. Um, you know, and the, the funny thing is, is that, you know, and obviously I, I don't in any way feel that, uh, you know, a little girl should be in a crack house or that we should even be looking into that. But I think it, it's kind of an issue that is difficult to explain at first until you really have it put to you. And, you know, you also have to have a certain open mind. Like there was a, you can still watch it on YouTube. Um, there was a, uh, a YouTube about Ron Paul when he ran for president in 1988, and you can still find it. I think it's Ron Paul on Trash TV on YouTube. And basically, that's when the war on drugs was really popular. Um, and uh, basically, uh, you know, it just you, you're trying to explain to people why the violence is happening and that the violence is happening because of the drugs, you know, being illegal, and that that's what's making the demand. And then the demand is then in turn making, you know, people fight over it because they want to make money. And as long as there's money in it, then it's going to continue to be a problem. And um, so, I mean, it is a difficult thing to explain on the surface. And, you know, and it takes a little while, especially if you see how it's done in other countries. And that is one thing that that documentary is very good about. You're talking about explaining the damage of the drug war you're talking about? Right. And also just how um, not prohibiting it in many ways can solve the problems. Because, you know. Well, Well, look, look, Neil, all you have to do. All you have to, I think it's an easy thing. All you have to do is point these people to any number of movies which depict uh, what it was like in, in, you know, back in Chicago and New York in the gangster era with Prohibition. I mean, it bred violence. Uh, and, and when Prohibition was repealed, there went the violence. Now, right. of course, they figured out other things to you know, be violent about, but those are probably things that, could, that shouldn't have been prohibited either. Um, so uh, it's, you know, it, it's, it's a very easy cause and effect. I don't want people to misunderstand me when I talk about drug intake on the part of people and their choice to use. If you choose to use, and after the result of that, uh, you go out and you hurt another human being or violate their rights in some way, uh, you, you have been afforded that extra personal freedom and you must carry the extra personal responsibility that goes with it. There's no question about that. And I think that's a fair trade-off. No, I, I definitely agree with you there. And that, it also kind of comes down to the general principle. I mean, it, one of the things that they say in, in that documentary, and I'm sure you're going to love it when you see it, um, and I had the, the benefit of having a European co-host for some time, and we're talking about decriminalization Essentially, you know, like one of the things that they said, like they talked to a guy who was, in, of course, in the middle of the war on drugs. He was a guy involved with the, the prison industrial complex, a term that Mike Gravel uses all the time for the purpose of that we want more people in prisons because we make a lot of money on it. But they were talking to this guy who was a warden, and he's like, yeah, I heard about that decriminalization in Switzerland. And he's like, you can, you can step over the, the, the passed out people, and they're all over the streets and all this other jazz. And so they go to Switzerland and Amsterdam, and that could not be further from the truth. 
Um, in fact, it took them all day to find anybody who smoked crack because everybody knew, you know, that drug is really stupid. Why would you do that? Um. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, you know, it's interesting. The culture uh, in Europe is that, uh, you know, young people do grow up um, drinking wine, you know, in France, for example. And, you know, I think statistics have shown that the incidence of alcoholism among those people is lower. So um, it's not, you know, you, you grow, it's not just about tolerance either. It's about there being just certain, you know, it's, it's there. It's, it's a psychological thing in many ways, too. Uh, a lot of people think, well, if you have more drugs available and they're legal and whatnot, you're going to have more drug addicts. Now, that's their business, for one thing, but I don't believe that. I mean, I, I want to say that's their business. It's the business of the consumer whether they want to become a drug addict or not. But, I mean, uh, I, I don't really believe that to be the case. I think, I think it's sort of like the old, um, you know, it, it, it becomes the question of, of, of the temptation. Uh, and that which is bad seems to be more tempting. That which is legal does not. Yep. No, well, I, I yeah. agree with you there. Uh, and I, I think that's actually, uh, uh, you know, when we talk about personal choice, and that's why I'm, I'm very glad that you're in this campaign, because even though I can't um, vote for you, I know that there are going to be some people who can. And I just, I cannot, I cannot personally anyway, vote for any of the other candidates that have been offered to us. Uh, the reason why um, is just that, the, honestly, neither of them really grasp personal choice. Bob Barr claims to, but I don't believe a word he says. Uh, Chuck Baldwin's platform does, is about personal choice on some things, but it's not about and on everything. Um, well, maybe it's not about maybe it's not about certain things that these guys don't consider to be um, something that they approve of. I mean, it's a very very difficult thing to get to a place like that, uh, Neil. Right. I, you know, for you to, you know, I I could you know anybody that's listening there and and beyond can defend their rights, you know, and be very passionate about it. But will they defend the rights of someone else if that activity or, or, you know, uh, doesn't doesn't impact them at all? Or if they don't like what the other person does? It's it's much easier said than done, and it is not done much. And, And it's, you know... It's like I argue with people all the time and talk about, you know, Patriot Act and, and things like that. And, and what I hear out of people who aren't um, thinking too clearly, I guess, is, well, if you're not doing anything wrong, you don't have anything to worry about. <laughs> and, and my response is, I got news for you. That's not the threshold, okay? You better have a very good reason to invade my privacy. I mean, mm-hmm. you better have a damn good reason. Um, uh, you know, but people feel like, hey, oh, it's always that other person that gets their door knocked down. It's not going to be me. What do I do? I don't do anything. No. Well, but then when, when something happens to them, all of a sudden, they're very, very militant about it. Well, start being militant about it when you see it happening to others. That's when we make progress here. You know, um, there's another question here. I guess this comes from a little while ago, and this is kind of a question of controversy, so you'll have to be um, uh, basically brace yourself here. But uh, basically, uh, now it says, I have a question for him. Why does he support calling Bob Barr a racist? Why does he think the Confederate flag is racist? 
and then it puts some quotes. On July 5th, Jay posted a graphic designed by his vice presidential candidate running mate, Thomas Knapp, that depicts Bob Barr alongside known racists Strom Thurmond, George Wallace, and Lester Maddox. With a Confederate flag in the background, the blog entry is entitled, Look Out for Those Dixiecrats. And then it says, Bob Barr is not a racist, and neither is the Confederate flag. Various groups have distorted the real meaning of the Confederate flag for their own purposes. The Confederate battle, battle flag represents all Southern and even Northern Confederates, regardless of race or religion, and is the symbol of left government. I'll, we're, we'll have to answer that after the break. <laughs> laying it down for revolution broadcasting. I'm running for Congress in Nevada District 1. If you want freedom, better vote for me, son. I love the government. It's losing its clout like Gwen Stefani. I have not that food, guns, and butter overseas. Believe us eating macaroni and cheese. These beats are stale and my rhymes are thin. Donate to my campaign and I'll never rap again. Now pay attention because I'll only say it once. I'm down with Ron Paul and I'm down with R1. David Isbell. Lace the track. Kelvin Atkinson is Now let's bring down the evil empire. Open up your wallet and donate to Chris Dyer. Yo, 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 bring that beat back. I want to shout some holler down. GOP, what's up, party people? Props to Arden Osborne in the NLA. Daily Ball, down with you. Andy Beamers, Jim Forsyth, all the sneaky hippies in New Hampshire. Las Vegas, Vita. Neo at RonPaulChat.net. This is Moody Johnson, my girl, girl. Chris Robertson, Andrew Brownson, all my homies at the GOP. I'm Chris Dyer, and I approve this message. Got something you want to get off your chest? Or something wonderful you want to shout about to the world? Well, send it to me, because I'm Rex Brocky, the host of Rants and Raves with Rex on Revolution Broadcasting. Every day at 5 p.m. Eastern, or every weekday at least, you can tune in and hear the best and the worst in the news of these very interesting times we live in. Rants and Raves with Rex on Revolution Broadcasting. There's a film out on DVD. DVD that every American needs to see, the true face of FEMA. After 9-11, FEMA was rolled into the giant homeland security bureaucracy, along with the Coast Guard and the Border Patrol. The Free American filmed their first briefing of local law enforcement at Sandia Labs on Kirtland Air Force Base. Here, Colonel John Brinkerhoff tells the assembly that in case of a single outbreak of smallpox in a major metropolitan area, we will need 400,000 well-armed, well-trained, organized, disciplined troops to control the American people because some of them won't follow orders. He's asked if he's talking about the National Guard. No, they are too expensive, and they will be somewhere overseas. Go to www.freeamerican.com or call 888-678-1444 to order for $25. This is an important film, and you'll hear Clay Douglas respond to that. Are CNN and Fox online any better than they are on TV? The old media. It's a piece of crap. It doesn't work. Revolution Broadcasting. 
www.revolutionbroadcasting.com. The Freedom Spin starts here. News and talk from a freedom perspective. Revolution Broadcasting is listener-supported, so please visit our website. And if you like what's here, chip in. Here on V Radio, I'm here with Charles J, Boston Tea Party candidate for president. Um, I'm sorry about the, the long extended information on that particular question, Charles. But basically, uh, why do you support calling Bob Parr racist? Why do you think the Confederate flag is racist? Well, I don't think I, I don't think I made a comment in either of those directions uh, on the blog. If that's what he's talking about, I didn't call Bob Barr racist, nor did I call the Confederate flag racist. I don't think I did anyway. Uh, what I pointed out was that Barr spoke as a keynote speaker at a national convention for an organization called the Council of Conservative Citizens. Uh, that is a group where you can read the statement of principles where they talk about racial integrity and keeping the character of the American people uh, European in nature and uh, you know what they're looking for is racial purity. <laughs> European uh, <and> in nature. <laughs> yeah. I'm not going to read the statement of principles, nor am I going to, you know, get involved in prolonged debates with Bob Barr surrogates. He's had, he's had the opportunity to show up at two debates that I've been at and hasn't had the balls to do it. Uh, if he shows up in the future, you know, if he wants to go one-on-one, we'll be happy to go into this in depth. But uh, just suffice to say, I pointed out that he spoke uh, at that national convention. He was the keynote speaker. Uh, apparently did so very happily, uh, not until months and months later when it was that, when that was revealed and exposed and got some attention did he disavow it. Um, and, you know, uh, another thing, too. You know, these Congress, I don't know how many people know about how congressmen operate. Uh, I worked a little bit when I was a very, very young as an intern in a congressman's office. You know, these people have staff, but not only in the local office, but also in the Washington office. And it, I, I just find it not believable that Bob Barr could be scheduled for something like this and that not one person on that entire staff could have pointed out to him who he was speaking in front of. Uh, and I have to believe either um, they did and he ignored it or uh, that, uh, that, that, uh, that they didn't mind it either. So, um, so that's that's all I really put in front of people, and there was a picture of him at the podium, and you could not ignore the flag behind him. So uh, that person, whoever sent that comment in, uh, is stretching it a bit. 
Um, I would rather, you know, and, and I did this with another blog post, which gave, uh, which was put out quotes by uh, Jesse Helms and also Bob Barr about Jesse Helms. This was this was probably about the same time uh, when uh, when after Jesse Helms died, I believe he died on the Fourth of July, and um, and and you know those are the kinds of things you put out there. You let people figure it out for themselves. They can get there. Believe me. Oh no, I understand completely. I I already knew there wasn't going to be any issue. And as far as I mean, I've heard even crazier stories that I I don't necessarily have a problem with believing. To be honest, I'm having actually. And by the way, Neil, uh, as far as the graphic that Tom Knapp put out on his blog, right? Um, you can ask Tom about that himself. I'm sure he won't be shy about explaining all of that to you. Oh, okay. Well, yeah. Well, he's eventually going to get on my show. He's just been recovering from something that's been destroying his voice. I called him today, and he sounded like he had yeah. pneumonia or something. Um, but I, I, we are looking forward to having him here on our vice presidential debate, particularly since it looks like Wayne Allen Root is actually going to poke his head in here. And um, I, I guess from what Thomas says, uh, he's, he's, he's curious to see how Wayne's going to react to him because he's kind of the guy that exposed him for giving money to Lieberman and all kinds of other junk. But uh, now uh, people were asking uh, he, here oh, – go ahead and make your comment. No, I'm saying I, 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 I particularly don't find anything objectionable about, you know, stuff like that if someone believes in someone. I mean, look, we have people out there, private citizens, who give money to both politicians in the same race, you know? <laughs> uh, well, you, Rupert Murdoch gave uh, probably as much money to Hillary Clinton as he did to, you know, whoever his Republican favorites were, like Rudy Giuliani. I mean, they're, you know, those guys are... Those guys are just playing the game. You know, they're playing the game of politics, and they're hoping that their money's going to speak. And, and you know, hey, uh, what are we going to do? Um, there's um, basically now there's a, as you know, we do, particularly from the Revolution Broadcasting side of things, we have a lot of Chuck Baldwin-esque listeners. So uh, the question about um, abortion has come up, and more specifically, uh, in addition to just the normal abortion question, how do you feel about partial birth abortion? Well, as I, you know, at the risk of being repetitive, how I was on your uh, the last time I appeared with you, right? Uh, what, what, what I what I pointed out was that personally, uh, I feel like there's a boundary I don't want the government crossing, right? And that is the boundary that is contained in one's own body. Uh, I believe in the self ownership there. However, at the same, uh, I I'm involved in this campaign with plenty of pro life people. Mm-hmm. And it's something that where I, I I absolutely respect their view when it comes to uh, protecting that unborn fetus as a matter of you know as a matter of a libertarian principle because uh, I know that they come to that in good faith. Right. So even though I feel the way I do, I would never. This wouldn't be like perhaps other political issues, like the income tax, for example where I'm going to sit there and tell them that they're morally wrong or politically wrong. I think they're being principled in, 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 the, way that they, in the way that they feel. Now, it may differ from the way that I feel, but I am certainly accommodating to that point of view. No question about that. Well, so is that kind of, I guess it's just a feeling of you, you personally don't feel that the government should be involved, but you at least respect where they're coming from. Is that basically what I'm getting out of it? I do because I think that they're being, you know, I think that they're sincere in that. Um, I think at least those that are 
that are looking at it from, you know, and, and, uh, and um, uh, articulating that and intellectualizing that from a libertarian standpoint, certainly. Now, what about partial birth abortion, or does that is that the same thing for you? I mean, I, now we're talking about a baby that's basically fully capable of living outside of the body. I don't know if you're familiar with the procedure, but you pull the baby out by its legs, and the only thing that's left inside is its head, and you know you insert a pair of scissors in the back of its head, suck its brains out, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, I'm sorry to be graphic, but that's how it's done. Um, and the only thing really keeping this baby from being alive at that point is you could just pull the head out and then it would be legally born. But uh, that's why they right. can't let the head out. I mean, how do you feel about that? Because then you got a baby that could very easily live outside the mother and, you know, be adopted. Yeah, I do feel conflicted about it, Neil. I'm not going to lie to you. Uh, because uh, although, although once again, I'm, gonna, I'm going to uh, uh, probably have to be absolute in my own viewpoint, I do believe that, when you're talking about a situation like that, yes, you have, you know, it's sort of like, uh, uh, you know, the mother has certainly had enough time to make that decision or the prospective mother uh, on whether to get an abortion or not. And let's face it. I mean, yes, I, I, I look, I, I'm, I defend the mother's right to her own body, but I do understand. I really do how people would be upset about something like that. That's really the best way I can answer you. No, I understand it is definitely a complicated issue for many people, particularly when it comes into conflict with your libertarian ideals. Um, and, uh, you know, I've seen that look that way as well, because I actually had to debate this issue on the floor of the Libertarian National Convention, because they were trying to make passages into the uh, platform that would have made all libertarians basically forced to be pro-choice. Um, and I, I said, look, you know, we've had some great libertarians that are still pro-life. We can't just, you know, make this a rule. We need to let people make their own decisions as libertarians on how they feel about this. Um, mm -hmm. You know, so basically, um, you know, I know where you're coming from, and I can see where it's a dicey issue, and I appreciate that you gave me the answer that, you know, you, that you're still soul-searching about it yourself as opposed to just giving me whatever, you know, lock, stock, and barrel some, you know, campaign manager would have given you, which is what everybody else seems to do. Um, well, well, I'm pro, I'm pro, I'm pro-choice, but it's, it's not, you know, these are things that are not easy. Mm -hmm. These are things that are obviously not easy, and, and uh, I, I certainly condone anyone living their life their own way. Right. And if you, and if you want to, if, if that's part of, if it's part of your values is to condemn that kind of thing, um, I, you know, I, I, I certainly, uh, I, you know, I'm not going to go out there and demonstrate against you. Right. No, I understand. Um, you know, and honestly, but in Ron Paul's position even was basically the same thing. The government shouldn't be involved. Um, then you get into the state's rights issues. Um, you know, and honestly, I have seen, you know, a serious division within the movement itself as of late. And, and we've talked about this. It's just that um, there's definitely, as the race goes on and we are down to different, you know, uh, less and less answers, you know, as far as to what candidates we might want to support, um, there is, there are now divisions where we have situations like religion, um, abortion, uh, you know, issues that essentially were things that weren't really an issue before during, when we were just getting behind Ron Paul that now are becoming an issue. Um, uh, basically, when you consider the fact that, uh, Bob Barr um, was, you know, a candidate who claimed to be pro-life. Of course, he did get an abortion, or his wife, he had his wife get an abortion at some point during their marriage. Um, and then you had Chuck Baldwin, who's obviously, you know, pro-life on steroids. And Ron Paul, whose answer was essentially 
pro-life in his own personal beliefs, but I don't think the federal government has any business getting involved. Um, you know, so but I, I have noticed a difference now, also because the the gay rights issue has come up, and I have to tell you that uh, your answer about gay marriage on the you know during the debate was definitely the best in my opinion that was granted. I think there was one other fellow um, who gave basically the same answer, and uh, well, and then Brian Moore actually seemed to be like, look, it's none of your problem, it's none of your business, if, you know, if you don't like it, too bad. So I was pretty I was pretty happy about that too. Um, mm-hmm. Chuck's, Chuck's answer definitely left a lot to be desired with me, but that kind of brings up to where I'm coming from is that I think we're seeing lines drawn in the sand now where the diversity of the movement is really being exposed in ways that it wasn't before because Ron Paul was a happy medium for so many people. Um, and I guess now we're, we're kind of in a, in a, in a point I think is going to be, it could be a breaking point if we're not careful. Um, but in any case, uh, we also have a question here. It says, how do you feel about the federal government funding abortions? Uh, absolutely not. No, 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 no. Did that answer the question? <laughs> yeah, I didn't think you would, I didn't think you would approve of that. <laughs> no, um, well, um, basically now we're, we're coming up towards the end of the show. I still have some time here. Um, I guess, uh, other things, I'm trying to think if there's anything that we, you haven't had an opportunity to cover with our audience uh, between this interview and the last interview and the debate. Um, is there anything that you would like to add? Well, I just think it gets scarier and scarier by the day. I mean, I, look, I, I, I'm optimistic about this country, of course. I think I, um, I, I try to articulate that in the closing statement. In the, in the last debate that I was in, I mean, I wake up every day, and I am optimistic. Look, I'm an entrepreneur. I, I believe that, uh, and I like to be around innovative people, and, and I believe that people are the great asset here in this country, and, and this is why we're going to be resilient, and, and whatever it is we're going through, it's, it, we're going to bounce back. We need to exercise personal responsibility uh, and and not look upon the American dream as acquiring something where we don't know if we can really afford it or not, but to look at it as, look, we, we, you know, we work, we save, you know, we retain, we hopefully don't get income tax uh, under the Charles J. administration, and we buy what we can afford. That's the American dream. Um, but it's getting scarier when governments are now going to be buying up one bank after another, uh, according to to Paulson, if I understood the headline as I was looking at it before I came on with you, they're going to buy into thousands of banks in this country. Um, governments are not supposed to own banks. Governments are not supposed to own private businesses. They're not supposed to control industries. This is taking us toward where we, uh, where no founding father that I know of wanted us to go, is, and, and that is into a socialist society, closer and closer to it. What's dangerous, Neil, is that we are so many generations past the start of the New Deal that there isn't anybody around who could really, you know, who's really going to talk about or could tell us about, you know, how it was before all that. Right. Uh, and what, you know, so in other words, what I'm trying to say, I guess, is that this society is so conditioned to government being such a big part of the picture that it takes massive re-education to turn things around. Maybe this situation will wind up educating a lot of people. And, and, and bringing them around to the understanding that, uh, that government isn't supposed to have their hands in every pot. Government is really supposed to step back and, you know, let this system work. And this system will correct itself. And, this, and, and, 
and we need to be a free people. As long as government is playing a big role like this, as long as you have politicians who are grabbing for so much power, they want government to be bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. That is taking us in the wrong direction. We need government to get smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller and less a part of every, everybody's life. And what we need is vigilance out there. And that is why I think that the third-party movement, sustaining it and growing it is so important. Because whatever your basic philosophies are, uh, if you're involved in third-party politics, the key is that you're active, that you're vigilant, that you're questioning authority, and that you're fighting against the system out there. All right, go ahead and finish. <laughs> I think I finished. I got I caught the queue. I finished. CJO8.com is the uh, is the website address. Also, BostonTDEA.us. All right, thanks again. Um, basically, we got all that out now. Um, I uh, thanks again for being on the show. Um, this once again will be archived on my blog, Talk Radio. Uh, if you want to link it to anybody else. And um, thanks again, Charles, for being on. I look forward to having you on some more. If uh, you have anything else, like any press releases or whatever that you want to put forward, I'll be happy to report on them on my show, even if you're not on on yourself. All right. Well, thank you so much, Neil. I appreciate the time. No problem. You take care, Charles. All right. Well, that was Charles Jay, the Boston Tea Party candidate for uh, president. And... um, that was the end of V Radio for this segment, and uh, goodbye. Good night.